You are listening to Best Life After Cancer, episode number 31. Welcome to Best Life After Cancer. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where cancer survivors and caregivers can get solutions and support to overcome the life challenges brought by their cancer diagnosis. If you are ready to release your fear, regain your joy, and reduce your risk, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah Blitzbach. Well, hey, friends. I am so happy to chat with you all today. I hope you had wonderful holidays, despite all the changes in life currently. I had a great Christmas, but I admit, I let my brain convince me that New Year's Eve sucked because we couldn't do what we always do. We got married on New Year's Eve, and we've had a long tradition with our college friends. I ended up missing out on a great night with my husband and kids because I was in that space, so I know one of the places I have my work cut out for me in the next weeks. As we start out this new year, I want to acknowledge where so many people are after cancer. If you finished treatment and it felt like you were just sent out into the world with it's all wait and see and make a follow-up for six months and you felt lost and terrified, you are not alone. This is so common. If you want to feel like there is something you have control over to decrease recurrence, but you're unsure what, I hear this so often. If you are living in fear, waiting for the other shoe to drop, and finding that you are having a hard time getting back to normal life, there is not something wrong with you. Our brains have evolved to try to keep us safe, and they do that by pointing out all of the things that could be dangerous. So you know, you are not flawed, weak, or too fearful. You have a normal human brain doing what all human brains do. There are ways to deal with our brains, but I have to let you in on a secret. If you are not supervising what your brain is thinking about, it is like leaving a two-year-old in a room with white walls, a white couch, and rug, and a black Sharpie. (laughs) I bet every mom listening just cringed, right? Our brains are the same way. If we're not supervising them, they are drawing the worst possible picture for us to look at. I've been thinking a lot about the struggles of my cancer survivors and how I can make their lives better. At the same time, I'm always working on myself and creating the next best version of me. And when they overlap, wow, that is where the magic is. Let me digress for just a minute and share something with you. Recently, I spent 16 hours on a weekend in a virtual retreat for people working on what they are creating and why. It was so inspiring, this group of hundreds of women from around the world sharing their creativity and genius. They encouraged us to put into the world what we are doing this for. I've hinted at this in prior podcasts, but I want to really verbalize it. I realized years ago that after treatment, patients are often left to go it alone. They are terrified of a recurrence, struggling with lasting symptoms from treatment, and looking for a place to get help and support. Once I realized this, I knew I had found my next calling in life. This doesn't take the place of my calling to medicine or my calling to be a mother. It's like the icing on the cake. It just makes all of the rest sweeter. My goal with this podcast, my private Facebook group and page, my coaching programs and weekly teachings is to touch the lives of a thousand breast cancer patients per year for the next 10 years. It's a big goal, but I have big ambition. I know 10,000 of my people are out there looking for help, and it's up to me to help them find me. 
I know my people are strong, motivated women, many type A personalities who had everything in life under control up until cancer. Most are nearing completion of treatment or finished treatment, and they are searching for ways to improve their odds, for ways to get past that constant nagging fear of recurrence, for ways to embrace the joy in life and create more. They are willing to work at this. They know that while we doctors have our parts with surgery, systemic treatment like chemotherapy or hormonal therapy and radiation, doctors are not the whole story. They know in their gut, in their heart, that there are things they should be doing and they are ready and willing to do them. They just need to be pointed in the right direction. They want to share the path with other like-minded women. They are not the ones on blogs who just want to whine, complain, and bitch. That saps energy, right? It brings negativity. I'm not saying we can't discuss the challenges and stresses, but if you only want to complain, not work at fixing these things, I'm not your girl. This clarity I found and stating my goal has lit a fire in me. I know 100% who I'm supposed to be helping, and I know the steps to take to do it. Exciting, right? If this sounds like you, come join us in our Facebook group at Best Life After Cancer MD. We are going to change the world one survivor at a time. I did my very first webinar this past weekend, and I did 30 minutes of teaching and 15 minutes of Q&A, and it was so much fun. I'm doing another one this Thursday night, and if you are interested, you can find the link to sign up on my Facebook page as well. Okay, I'm done with my rainbows and daisies explosion for now. Back to managing our mind and not having a toddler with a Sharpie running around in our heads. First things first, I know there may be some argument with this, but I want you to really consider that the only thing we can actually control 100% on the entire planet is our thoughts. If this is true, the question comes, of all the thoughts available to us, why do we choose thoughts that make us feel awful? I think many people think they don't have an option to choose a better thought, that the fact they had cancer means they have to think awful things. For certain, you have the right to think whatever it is you want to think, but I want you to evaluate. Is that thought helping you to live the life you want to live? If it isn't, even if it is a true thought, it might be one you want to reconsider. Now, once people realize this, then they start beating themselves up for having thoughts that aren't helping, and that isn't awesome either. I am the queen of, I know better than this. Why do I keep thinking this awful stuff? But we have to acknowledge where we currently are. We have to work through that mess before we can choose a better thought. Or it's like frosting a shit sandwich and thinking it should taste like cake. Not likely, right? If you are struggling with fear, first you need to take a step back. We need to look at our emotions and figure out what thoughts are causing them. I have a client who was afraid to think about or plan retirement. The anxiety was always there and overwhelming. We were able to take a step backwards and find that she had a thought that had gone unrecognized that if she planned for retirement, she might jinx herself and make the cancer come back. When we brought that thought to light, it made so much sense that she'd been unable to even think about the future. It still requires work, but knowing it's there is the first step in the pathway. She had to stop pushing down the fear for us to have time to find that thought. So don't force down your emotions. Let them be there and then take a step back to identify the negative thought. Then you have to work through that thought with your brain. 
Accept where you currently are. Allow it and slowly work towards a better thought. For most people, this negative thought will continue to come up. It is important to have awareness of it. And then when you see it, I use a technique that I call the and or but technique. Note to yourself that you are having the thought and then add and or but with your better thought. One of my clients, when we were dealing with weight loss, kept having the thought, the cookies look and smell so good. It was important to know she was having that thought. We added a but qualifier to her thought of those cookies look and smell so good, changing it to those cookies look and smell so good, but I want to reach my weight loss goals far more than I want to eat those cookies. This gave her the ability to take a step back in the moment and not give in to the thought the cookies were tempting. This can also work in the first example I gave with fear about the future. I offered her an and thought. I realized that my brain is thinking that I will jinx myself if I think about retirement, and I don't believe that thinking about something good will necessarily bring something bad. It's a slow process, and honestly, it's often easier with someone helping you through it, but it is definitely doable on your own as well with hard work and introspection. Now, sometimes we have thoughts that sound so good, but feel so bad. I want to dive into pretty thoughts and why they make you feel like a steaming pile of crap sometimes. I guess first I have to tell you what I mean by pretty thoughts. These are thoughts like, no one should abuse children. Our country shouldn't be so divided. With all the research and money, there should be a cure for cancer by now. My friends and family should be here to love and support me along my cancer journey. And one I've been thinking personally I've created such a great podcast and program, more people should be finding me. All of these should thoughts sound so nice, don't they? But the truth is, these types of thoughts are often in direct conflict with reality. Children are physically and sexually abused, neglected, and mistreated. Our country is divided in many ways, with lines drawn along racial and political boundaries. Despite many advances, some types of cancer are not curable. Our friends and family may support us well, or they may not support us in the way we wish they would. And for me, just because I built it doesn't mean they will come immediately. This isn't a Kevin Costner movie. When we think these thoughts, they sound good. We think they should make us feel good. And sometimes we think that giving them up is the same as agreeing with what we don't like. But any thought you keep telling yourself that is in direct opposition with reality will feel like that big pile of poop I mentioned earlier. It makes you think something is going wrong with you, with the world, with your family and friends. This is not how we want to be looking at our lives and experiences. We have to realize it is in our nature as humans to have expectations of the world. But the challenge is that we can only control ourselves. And let me tell you, for many humans, even that is a challenge. We cannot force anyone else to follow our plan. I wish we could. I wish we could just make a statement that from now on, no one would abuse children. It's not reality. It's made even more complicated that what I think is abuse, someone else might think is reasonable discipline for their child. We couldn't all be happy even if we could make that statement true. And when we argue with reality, it leads to us adding to the drama. We fight with people who have different beliefs or just refuse to talk with them and hear their views. 
This actually increases the conflict, both in our heads and in the world. So how do we deal with this in our brains? First, I want to point out, there are things that I personally do not want to feel better about. I don't want to think that rape, murder, abuse are okay. But I also know that I personally can't obliterate 100% of it from the world. When I hear my brain thinking there shouldn't be abuse, I switch it to, I want to support efforts to reduce abuse. This feels equally true and more doable. It doesn't leave our brains in the uncomfortable place of thinking something that is not and likely never will be true and gives us space to take action if we choose. It also allows us to acknowledge that we do not like the situation and wish it was different. It gives us the option to lean into not liking something while not being in a hopeless position with no possibility of change. In a recent example, I had a client feeling like the division in the country was upsetting. She told me that we should not be divided. Before we even dive into this, I want to point out, first, we are all entitled to our own opinions, which means in a two-party system, there will always be division, and it is normal and healthy for our political system. I think it was more the dramatic nature of our current political climate that unsettled her. Fear of riots, the aggressiveness of the disagreement, the finger-pointing. I can't say I disagree. I wish there was less of all that right now, too. The thought, though, there shouldn't be division? Impossible, and leaves you feeling completely powerless and likely overwhelmed. So again, what can we control? Only ourselves. We can say, I want to be a voice for peaceful disagreement. I want to support the rights of all humans. I will not be a part of the ugliness of the current situation and choose not to repost, discuss, or amplify these things. These are thoughts that reclaim your power, which is bringing the best to the world that you can. This mindset allows us to really listen to other views without necessarily having to convert people to our way of thinking. If we are resisting other views, often that leads to arguing, which often puts other people's walls up higher. A mindset that allows peaceful discussion helps to de-escalate and understand others, which is exactly what we are looking for in this time. One thought I use when I talk with other people about charged topics is, in what ways are they absolutely correct? One other comment about this, though. I want to point out that the thought that our country is unsafe and out of control is just a thought, and not everyone in the world would agree with this for certain. In comparison to places actively at war with bombings and active fighting, our country is remarkably safe. In terms of there being division in our government, countries with a dictatorship that the public is actively trying to overthrow would likely seem even more divisive. Our thoughts certainly can be evaluated in terms of the actual validity. It may seem very unstable, but is that reality? Or is that the news wanting to hype the upheaval because it terrifies people and glues them to their TV. Not to say this isn't true, but possibly magnified. For me, a thought of, even with all the issues in the U.S., this is still a safe place to live with many more freedoms than many countries experience is sometimes helpful. This doesn't change the fact that I want to live in a country where everyone is heard and feels safe. The next example I mentioned was what I hear so often about people's thoughts about cancer research. Some people are amazed at the advances we have made in the last 20 years, and this thought likely makes them feel good and hopeful. 
But with cancer research, the thought that there should be a cure that works for all types of cancer really negates in our brain all of the work that has been done in so many cancers. Drugs that have cured many people who have failed the traditional treatment for lymphoma and leukemia. All of the women cured from their breast cancers by advances in surgical techniques, hormonal therapies, directed agents like Herceptin, improvements in radiation. That thought makes people think that nothing is being accomplished if everyone isn't cured. I would love it if we found one thing that could cure everyone easily, cheaply, and comfortably. But this isn't Star Trek with that little tricorder that could diagnose everything and a machine that did everything from vaccinations to knitting bones to major surgeries while the doctor just stood there and looked satisfied. Finally, I often have patients or friends that feel that they are not well supported by their family and friends, whether it is during cancer, times of challenge in their marriage or work life, or when a spouse is ill. Their family and friends should be there more. They should understand how hard this is, do the right things, say the right things. But we can't control other people, and always feeling like they should be doing something they are not is so disempowering to us. It takes all of our control and gives it to someone else. It leads to us acting angry, driving people further away, or chronically complaining, which makes people want to avoid us. The more we try to force the people around us to behave the way we want them to, often the further they go in the opposite direction. I have heard this referred to as having a manual for people. What we think they should do and shouldn't do. Often we have these and expect that the other person should just magically know what they're supposed to do without us even telling them what we want or need. We think family should touch base with us after tests, but never really say this is what we want. We expect calls on our birthday, but never tell friends that is important. We think they should just know. Then when they don't comply, we sulk or seethe and drive them away further. This is so close to our heart, it's hard to see that them doing what we want isn't reality, meaning it isn't currently happening. And what's more, we have no ability to control it. What we do have control over is what we think. First, I encourage everyone to seriously consider that you are your best support. You know what you want and need and can take action to make things happen. Second, consider who is meeting your needs as a survivor. Is it possible that not everyone needs to be an active participant in this? It would be nice to have a huge group supporting you, but if you have one or two who are amazing, instead of telling yourself you don't get the support you want, consider telling yourself you have what you need between yourself and your primary supports. Some useful thoughts might be, my husband and kids are amazing. I'd love it if my extended family and friends took more interest, but I don't need it to survive. I do love seeing them when it works out for me and them. Is this making sense? Did you hear that but statement in there? Arguing with reality feels awful because we can never fix it. When you're in a moment and feeling like crap, stop to question what you are telling yourself about the situation. As we have said, thoughts are sentences in our head. Any sentence that has should in it often will sound awesome but feel awful. Okay, my friends, that's it for this week. Here is to a year of thinking thoughts that make us feel strong, happy, and empowered. Thanks for listening to Best Life After Cancer. 
Did you know you can get more information on my website, bestlifeaftercancer.com? There is also a Facebook page, Best Life After Cancer MD, where there is a group just for survivors. Here you are able to interact with me, ask questions, and get more help. I'd love to see you there. Have a great week, and I'll speak with you soon.